Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Welcome back to the Lark Cast. What's up, Russ? Good to see you, man. Dude. What's up, man? We are back. We are live and in action. We are continuing our conversation through uh, the book that we wrote, Reclaim. We're in chapter four. It's titled Rest. And rest is not a word that most people associate with Christianity is it I would say no 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 the uh the free life man is not something that I think it's something you, you people talk about a lot it's been my experience in Christendom something I've talked about a lot something I've heard a lot about something I've taught a lot <laughs> in the past but when being honest not something I ever really experienced no me either um we talked about freedom, but I think um, freedom was this idea of like you uh, came into relationship with God and God was really at work in helping you become the best sanctified version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And freedom was, oh, I'm now free from these from sin, I'm free from a sinful acts. I don't do that stuff anymore. And I know yeah. your story is, is, you know, similar to mine. We experienced, you know, some of that, um, you know, like, you know, both of us came to Jesus out of rebellious lives, like the younger son and the parable of the prodigal son and experienced some cool things like a new heart and all that. Mm -hmm. But man, as you get going in this, in this Christian life thing, you realize, Oh, this self-reliance, dude, this independence, this runs way, way deep yeah. in my heart. And it's something that I've been battling since the year 2000. So 23 years, you know what I'm saying? In this thing. And uh, yeah, you know, there's a few things that I shed along the way, but um so thinking of freedom as this, like, I'm, I'm now I I'm free. I don't do these things anymore. It's a bit, it's a bit misleading and we're going to get into, um, it's like, that today. it's like a, what? Well, it's just a, like a thought that's always been running through my, my mind lately. It's like, a, it's this forever, like ought, you know, this is something that ought to be your yeah. free is this con it comes with this idea that you're, you're somehow free from the power of sin over your life. Mm -hmm. it's a it's a misunderstanding of what the freedom that jesus is speaking to um and then if you're honest with yourself because you still struggle at minimum right within your own like motivations and thought life but because if you're honest with yourself and you're forever <laughs> like realizing like i'm not too good at this apparently i guess i'm right. not that free or i'm not doing right. this correctly i need to get yeah. more free need to right. get freed up yeah it's 
what was supposed to be this gift now has become a goal that you never reach. Right. And so you're forever fearful, anxious, and exhausted. Yep. That's probably the best yeah. way I know how to put it now. And then I, th I think you said it well, like the, um, um, the obsession with it, um, you think it's this, you think it's this practical, you know, thing, which very well, you know, could, could be. And I think some people experience that, you know, throughout life. Um, but in the scriptures, it's an announcement. Yeah. And you're saying it's like, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily our first and foremost, a goal. And instead of rest, most people associate <clears throat> Christianity with, um, you know, hard work, grit, holiness. Um, and for the purpose of this chapter, performance or, or moralism or morality, holiness, right? Mm -hmm. We, we kick chapter four off. Um, not with a, not with like a, a deep analysis of the parable of the prodigal son, which most people at this point know that that's improperly named because the parable kicks off saying a father had two sons. There's a younger, <laughs> there's a younger and an older. And so yeah. we all know the story of the, of the prodigal basically looks at his dad, flips him off, you know, liquidate your assets. Give me my inheritance goes off to a distant land, squanders it tries to better his situation like he did the first time by asking for his inheritance early, betters the situation the second time by saying, I know, I'll go back to my father's house. I'll become a hired servant, which is a very specific Greek word for a type of servant. It's like a hired, like a subcontractor. Um, it's like a very professional, I work in exchange for, for money. Mm. And as you know, this father, you know that this guy doesn't know his dad at all. Mm. I mean, there's two reasons, right? Why the older brother in the story, like is pissed at his dad. And when he imagines his party, his dad's not invited or the younger son wants out. It's like, well, either this dad's a total asshole or they don't know him. And since the father yeah. in the story is, is our heavenly father, I'm going to go with that. They don't know him. And yeah, so they're both how he responds. <laughs> yeah, they're both clueless as to the heart of the dad, not in relationship with him. They don't really know him. So the younger son comes back. He's got his repentant speech, right? Rehearsed. Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants so I can earn my way back into your house. He meets him in the road, lets him get off the first two bits. Um but immediately just kind of, you know, quiets him, throws a crown on him, a robe and a ring and calls for the fattened calf. And so it's this big celebration, which in a shame culture, celebrating sons who squander their inheritance is a shameful thing. It's a very shameful thing. Um, and so this dad is just a unique cat altogether. But the older son's pissed. He hears the party. A servant has to tell him his younger brother's back. And just like the dad gets up to greet his son on the road, the older son is outside the party, won't enter the joy of the party with arms folded, eyebrows down, and just with a heart of anger. And he comes out, and unlike the younger brother, the older brother, he's done everything he's ever been asked to do. And he lets all this out. 
of his heart in anger towards his dad. Like I've done everything you've asked me to do. And you've never even given me a goat. This son comes back who squandered his inheritance on hookers and drugs. <laughs> and right. you're going to throw him a party. You've never even given me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. And instead of saying, sorry, Oh my gosh, I'm not like, you know, tuned in to how you felt and all that. He answers, he answers this. He goes, son, I've been with you the whole time. Meaning the prize of this whole thing is the love and the presence of the father. But both actually had the same sin. They yeah. just they just saw their dad as someone to get something from. They wanted his stuff. And one had the balls to be like, hey, I really don't care about you. At least he was honest. Just give me my money. And the other one was working yeah. hard in his religion and his duties and are doing everything asked of him. Um, and so in the end, really, man, there's like two ways to really avoid God in unbelief. One is with a heart of rebellion, sticking up your middle finger and saying, I don't want anything to do with this. I'm going to be my own like king. I'm going to be my own God of my own story. It's a, it's a, it's a heart of control. And the other one is to be so good and control your behavior. Right. And in your yeah. independence, be so holy and so good that you actually don't need the father at all. So both, mm -hmm. both had the same sin. And we've talked about this before that independence, that sense of control expresses itself in both irreligious and religious ways. And so in reclaim four, we're out to debunk the idea that Christianity really is about moralism or performance. Yep. Great way to put it, man. And I would agree and love the way you broke down that story. Um, in a conversation I had yesterday with some people ab about that very parable, I, I kind of described it as the, you know, the younger son thought he thought he knew better and the older son thought he was better. Mm, that's good. And I feel like the discovery you know, the freedom that could be found in both of them awakening to what dad's actually like and what life with him is really about would be the younger son not feeling the need to uh, pick up the tab at the next party. <laughs> you know, right? Like we're so prone, like when we receive a gift, like somebody throws a party for us, we're like, oh man, now I got to throw a party for them, right? They picked up the bill. Now I got to pick up the next bill. And it's like, I think what dad's driving him to is the realization that no, I've, I've always got the bill and there's a beauty in the dependence here. It's what you were made for. Hmm. And, you know, we could keep going on and on with that story. It's one of my favorites. Um, yeah. but I think you're right in that what you're, what we're trying to get to within this chapter is just this understanding that, that there is, there is rest to be found in relationship with a God who already loves you. Mm -hmm. There is rest to be experienced in walking with a God that you can fully live in dependence upon. You no longer need to define who you are. You no longer need to defend who you are. Um, there is no you to project into the world. Right? Yeah. There is no you that's needed that's not an already who you are. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very foreign concept to us, which is why I think we inevitably turn freedom that is a gift from above into a goal that we need to achieve 
and ourselves. And we somehow we got to achieve it in other people too. Right. And then you just have this forever performance wheel, right. Christianity. And I think that that's compounded by the way the church has kind of broken down this idea of, of mission. Like how do we help the people around us embrace Mm -hmm. the love of God? And we were told um, that, man, you just got to be like, so you got to be, you got to be light. You got to be so holy that people are like, dude, like, what's like, what's the difference, you know, in your life? You know, why, why, why are you, why are you so good? You know, Um, I want to know more about that, but the lack of honesty and the constant projection never brings the conversation into the reality of what is and that we all are, are broken and that brokenness is the core of it is independence. And so when it expresses itself in religious ways and irreligious ways, sometimes it's hard to detect, but I think it's compounded, you know, by, uh, by yeah. the teaching there. Yeah. And you know, one of the ways that we break it down in, in chapter four and reclaim, as you know, is, is just in these like two camps of ideas that you find that are pretty prominent in Christendom. You've got what we call replacement theology. Okay. Which I think according to the scriptures, what Jesus and Paul and Peter and John right, and James are all unpacking for us um, versus an improvement theology, mm-hmm. which seems to be kind of like what's in our DNA, you know, yeah. like we've got this, like get it together, make it happen tit for tat. If you do this, you get this. If you don't do this, you don't get that. And or, we're just, a de- or a debt ethic, like God yeah. gave God gave his son, dude, he gave so much. And so we need to kind of like give back. It's kind of that, like he paid the bill the first time. So like, man, we got to pick up the next one. You got to pick up the next one. And, and you, we apply all of this, like how like business works. We somehow think that this is how God works. Yeah. Right. And so we apply all this vertically instead of understanding that, no, this just seems to be a horizontal transaction among broken people. Um, and I think that's kind of what drives home this idea, you know what I mean, that you're talking about. It's what really pushes this, we, dude, I got to be light. I need people to be asking, what's the difference? And what we don't realize is that in that false belief, you project a false version of who you really are, which means you never actually connect with fellow people who are just as flawed and frail as yeah. you are. Yeah. That's, so you that's never the get to, to the it. joy. You never get to the good news of, God did not come to improve us, bro. Okay. Capen says it best, you know, (laughs) like improvement's not an option. Mm -hmm. Improvable is not a category for us. Right. When your need is resurrection. Yeah. We need to live in someone who's Mm -hmm. perfect and holy. We need to, to be brought into the righteous relationship of the Trinitarian God, father, son, spirit. Mm -hmm. And the son comes as we've talked about, like in Reclaim, back up to, you know, Reclaim 2, the cross is this mechanism in which God has gone about to really awaken us and to to to, to literally bring us through his death and resurrection is our death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. And so what we're trying to, to reveal here is that this idea of improvement is not just crushing you, it's even crushing opportunities that you have to help other people see a loving father for who yeah. he really is. Mm-hmm. And some of my favorite verses, which I know we get to in, you know, in the chapter, when you're talking about a replacement theology, when you're talking about in Jesus, we now live, that's probably the best way I know how to put it. 
in him, we now live and dwell and find our being. Okay. We always have, but now we're awakened to it. Yeah. <laughs> so union yeah. with Jesus is union really with what Jesus. we're talking about for you theology nerds out there. Galatians chapter two, verse 20, right? It says that we've been crucified with Christ. It's this mystery, you know, that we often talk about. We've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, we who live, but Christ who lives in us. You and I no longer live, Paul says. We no longer live, all right? Colossians chapter three, he goes on. He says that if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, right? Him, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth. For you have, there it is again, died in your life, is hidden right now. Paul's talking to people, just by the way, that are walking around and having conversations with him. He's saying that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And so, you know, like a tiny bookmark that's lost inside of a gigantic right, novel, we are hidden in Christ. We are forever united to Jesus who he is, what he's done, what he will do. And I just, man, I, I, I love this understanding because it's just kind of driving home this like, okay. And you start to feel like the rest, you know, at least for me, starts to start to like no, set 100%. in. hundred percent. Well, even like another little detail in that passage, it says that we're seated with him. Yeah. In Hebrews, it talks about when he finished, right? The work and he, he perfected for all time. Um, he mm. sat down. He sat down. That's right. language of the work is done. Like when you're done with your day, I come home. I got this one blue club chair in my living room. I sit down. Mm -hmm. um, so that is language of it is finished. The work is done. And notice where we are in him. We are seated with him. In, Yeah, with him. Like there's this Trinitarian fellowship union that's been going on, right? from before the beginning mm -hmm. and Jesus has done something definitive in history, right? That we talked about last week news that has made that possible, man. And so when you go, okay, so somehow God has attached all of us to his son in his death, his death for all of right for our death, his resurrection, our resurrection, we no longer live. It's Christ who lives in us. We are hidden in him, seated with him. Well, dude, when you get to Romans 8, it starts to make sense why Paul says that there is therefore now no condemnation, verse 1, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Dude, if there's no independent you to condemn, if you've been crucified and hidden in the righteous one, this is our existence, man. And I'll just give one more, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. It says that we have been, past tense, have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once, ready, for all. Yeah. Once for all, dude. And I think it's why at the end of the Galatians passage where he talks about, um, you know, I've been crucified in Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He then says the life I now live. Okay, so then what is life then? If it's not younger brother, older brother, right? Yeah. Both are just a, a pathway to destruction. Bo both the religious and irreligious pathway lead us to missing the father altogether. It has our mm -hmm. eyes on ourself and the pursuit of ourself, the ideal 
self, the performing self. Yep. Paul says, well, what is life then? The life I now live, he says, is one of faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, dude. Or, you know, in second Corinthians, right. He talks about, you know, our faith, this life that's now in front of us, this paradigm shift that's gone on tells us to, to place our hope, our assurance, our rest, our existence. Okay. Who we are is now on the person who is unseen. The scriptures say for our faith, right. Is in what is unseen, not what is seen. Well, what's seen dude. What's seen is your progress and your performance. That's what's seen. And what I was taught for years is somehow faith was faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Okay. That that's a, that's a jump dude that needs to stop my trust in Jesus as my life, my hope, my forgiver, my reconciler, my redeemer, the one I'm now hidden in. Okay. That's faith according to the scriptures. But we inevitably, because of this love of control and that spirit of independence that you were talking about earlier, we then put all of it on what we can see, on how well we perform, how well others are performing. And Paul's like, no, place your faith on what is not seen. What's what's unseen? Jesus. Your existence. Major yes. Major shift there, dude. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I would imagine, um, knowing the larks out there that they're probably here because man, they gave it a really good go for a long time. (laughs) And finally, finally realize, I mean, all these, all these tricks, all these efforts, all these groups, all these different things, man, I'm really not fixed. I'm not Mm. fixed. And in the honest moments, even 23 years after walking with Jesus, it is these realities that are just, oh my gosh, dude. They just make the heart come alive in encouragement. And that the the long, hard road of sanctifying yourself with God's help, of course, we would never would say we're sanctifying ourselves with God as our helper. Um it uh it it never really worked out the way that they told us it it would and we are still 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 broken deep deep down and so it's these passages that just man make the heart come alive in encouragement mm-hmm. it definitely does something in you man right like your heart yeah. i don't it just starts to feel like it's going to jump out of your chest because I feel like everywhere around me is this endless call to do more, be better, climb higher, you know, work harder, work smarter. I'm just, you know, it's just like this for like, it's just like this freaking endless treadmill, man. Yeah. And in the Christian world, it you like you just put the hit the nail on the head. Like it's all brought under the banner of sanctification. And of course, you know, it's, you know, with God's help, but dude, I just read Hebrews 10, 10 for you have been sanctified made perfect righteous and the one that you're hidden in it says once for all mm-hmm. dude that's past tense mm-hmm. which means the journey in front of us which i know we're going to get to in the next episode because man you're talking about a mind bender right like that's coming but 
this is like, you've got to start from this place of who do you live in? What has he done? What is now your existence? Right. And, you know, there's a couple passages that we get to, you know, in this chapter that are in Galatians, you know, where you've got some people who are going, no, dude, we got to bring something to the table. But I mean, Paul comes right at that, man. He comes right at this false understanding of, of something that's needed, this false idea of growth like this. I know we have the diagram that you're going to need to grab a copy of Reclaim, by the way, those of you who are listening to really see and understand this. But, you know, we draw that diagram of like upward and to the right. And that seems to be kind of how we think of, you know, life that's in front of us. It's up, to, up and to the right, baby. Up and to the right. You got to get your sanctification looking like your quarterly sales report. And we bring that like into this, like it's something that God, that God needs, you know, or it's something that proves, you know, our, our faith. But according to what Jesus is showing us, it's like, no, we're, what part of death as a way of life are you not understanding? Yeah. The project of you is finished. It's finished. Right. You are hidden in me. Your death, right, is my death. Your resurrection, you're now, you're now living and breathing, is in me. Mm -hmm. So anything that's good and beautiful that's coming out of you, amen for it. But just let that be a work of me in you. I think that's what he's ultimately showing us here. And so in Galatians chapter five, verse six, this is where in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, okay, think rule keeping, nor uncircumcision, rule breaking. We're back to that prodigal analogy, man, that you gave at the beginning. Counts for anything. So let me read that again. For in Christ Jesus, because of who he is and what he's declared, what he's done, okay, neither the older brother's life nor the younger brother's life Okay, circumcision or uncircumcision counts for anything, yeah. but only faith, okay, only faith working through love, only faith working through love. Dude, I heard, um, I won't say his name, but a pretty prominent like missional thinker today, guy that's just constantly putting out content about how to fix the world that people are just like eating up left and right. He quoted this verse the other day and ended it with, this is why we need to focus on our love game. This is why we need to get work, get to work dude on our love game. Because I mean, right here, I mean, it's, it's plain, but only faith working through love counts. And so, man, let's focus on, on the love. And it's like, dude, you completely undid what he just said. Mm -hmm. Your statement right there just undid the very first thing Paul just said. Did you yeah. not hear that getting good at your love game counts for nothing? Yeah. It counts well, for nothing. Dude, I can only imagine that Paul um, uses that word count. Yeah. Like, it, like, you know, he uses the word, word count. It's, it's, um, it evokes ideas of, of, of earning, you know, um, added to the, added to the resume. And Paul's mm -hmm. very familiar with resumes um, because he had his resume. And when he met Jesus in Philippians 2, he called it a big pile of, <laughs> of dog shit. <laughs> you know, he's like, my list. Here's all these things yeah. that I thought counted, right? Yeah. And so he, I guess 
he's only alluding to that because he knows something about humanity that we're always wanting something to, to count. And I think that is, that's the hard thing about this announcement of that you've died because whether you're in the church with this dude, Hey, we got to get to work on our, our love game. Um, it's what Ferde called the theology of glory versus the theology of, of the cross. And really what he says is it really goes back to, you know, Plato philosophy, the body's bad. The spirit is good. Heaven in a sense, or the goal of life is to kind of like ascend. Let's let's ultimately let's get out of this broken body. Let's ascend in our thoughts. Let's ascend in our behavior. Let's kind of rise above all these things. And in that Mm -hmm. scenario, you're very much alive. You're very much alive and you're trying to just rise and become that better self. And dude, this plays out in gyms, um, corporations, um, yeah. entrepreneurial uh, conversation. It's it, The church is actually aligned with the world in this idea of becoming and yes. growth, right? It's what, it's what uh, the scriptures refer to as the wisdom of the world. Anything but dying. Yep. Which is the announcement is you have died. And the goal yep. of Christianity is to constantly pursue in this reality of the announcement that we have died, that we are crucified in Christ. But when, man, we're trying to ascend, dude. We're trying to just be constantly come better, just reach for the heavens um, in our thoughts and our behavior and all these things. And we forget that the whole narrative of Christianity is that God came down and met us where we are. And he died to meet us in our death. But the old man dies hard, bro. (laughs) The old man dies hard. We want anything but death. We love a plan. We love our spirits to be aroused by, um, you know, um, thoughts of like, let's go. Come on. We got to work on our love game. Like, let's get after it. Let's be the kind yeah. of people, man, in this world that that show love and change the game and have impact and and all that, dude. All that is is all that is is the wisdom of the world. Yep, it's the opposite of the foolishness of the cross, right? Yes, you know, which which is what we've been invited to stand on, to 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 bask in, man, to to, re, to rely on, and. You know, like right after this, if you go back to Galatians in chapter six, verse 15, Paul repeats himself for neither circumcision, think religion in in any fashion or form like you just talked about, dude, politics, your workplace, the gym, the kitchen, your love life, you name it. Religion, yeah, it counts, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't count for anything. All right. But this is what he says, but a new creation but a new creation. You see, fleshly righteousness is a, is counterfeit righteousness. It's counterfeit, dude. It's not real. Um, That's something that Jesus seems to really be driving home to this religious audience early on in his ministry in the Sermon on the Mount. That's why he drops lines in there where he looks at this crowd where he really unveils what it means to truly keep the law, to be righteous, to be holy, as we say. And then looks at him and says, now be perfect as your heavenly father's perfect. Mm-hmm. In short, there's no such thing as imperfect obedience is what I'm getting at. It doesn't exist. 
So you need to live and dwell in someone else if righteousness is your goal, if righteousness is your need, if holiness is what you really long to walk in and to know and to experience. Amen, me too. Because we're not downing love here, just to be clear. We're not we're not poo-pooing, man, on people who've got a heart to 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 walk in things that would lead to more harmony in their life. Mm-hmm. Of course we're for that. What we're driving home here is if if you want to know the rest, to experience the rest that Jesus promises, what Jesus declares, what Jesus brings about, well, then it's death is a way of life. Yeah. That's what's in front of you. It's death letting go like to faith. better. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we, we have a quote in here um, by a dude named Gearhard for day. And I just think it would be a killer time to, to bring this up. Um, Cause he's talking about this whole idea of death as a way of life. Um, so I'm going to read this and I just have just one thought about just the bigger narrative of scripture when it comes to, to, to death and faith. He says this, just the sheer and unconditional announcement. You have died. The uncompromising insistence that there is nothing to do now that God has made his last move, just that and that alone. It is finished, right? Jesus said, is what puts the old being, the old man, which is a phrase that Paul coined, it puts the old man to death. Hearing that there's it's finished and there's nothing left to do, it puts the old being to death. There is no way for the old being to do anything about this grace the unconditional justification, the grace itself slays the old self and destroys its body of sin to fashion a new one. It's all over, he says. Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. One can't go back and repeat it. He died to sin once for all, and he now lives to God. What's the conclusion? You can now only consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We've mm-hmm. talked a ton on this on the Larkcast about um, what was really going on in, in the garden. Way before they reached for fruit, they were tricked. They were lied that God was holding back, that it really wasn't good, and that they needed to take into their own hands their destiny. And so the 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 lie, the deception there was our sense of control and the sense of independence, which led them to do that. When Jesus, they fell out of, they fell out of faith, dude. They fell out of trusting a good God, Mm. his character, his intentions for them, his heart for them. They fell out of that. When Jesus announces it's done, it's finished. Now there's literally nothing for you to do. That, that sense of control that expresses itself in religious and irreligious ways. That's in every single person that is an ab that is the death blow dude to that inner self and so if adam and eve fall out of trust they fall out of faith it is finished gets us back to trusting because there's nothing left to do after someone just announced to you it's all been done Mm -hmm. yeah dude there it is right there i mean it's all been done it is finished. Can we get back to the union that I created you for? 
Yes. <laughs> so you wonder if that's what he's saying. I've been revealing myself to yeah. flawed and frail people with a spirit of independence running in their veins from the beginning. And it just mm-hmm. constantly gets turned into people building temples that I never asked for. People creating ceremonies that I never asked for. The blood of bulls and goats. By the way, that doesn't do anything, as in religion. Never asked for that. So I'm just saying, like, he finally has to just come and reveal what he's really like and just announce all these things that you're trying to bring to the table. Stop. Yeah. Stop. Find your existence in me. It's been that way from the beginning. You've always had it. But now I've done everything that's needed for you to actually see it and to just go ahead and drop all the mildewed performances at the door, man. Yeah. Drop them at the door. And I know there's that last thing that's in us, man, that last ditch effort. I know there's that one piece that always comes up whenever I have this conversation. And to be honest, it was my initial pushback. Because I wanted this rest, dude, and I never experienced it. But when I started grabbing on to all these verses that declare our reality in Jesus so that we can rest, I still had that old man that you were just talking about in me. Oh, that yeah. would, you know, that would reach for like, yeah, but I mean, Paul was pretty plain, dude, you know, in Romans chapter six, right? I mean, he's talking to this crowd and he plainly tells them, so are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? Question mark. By no means, he says. Like in the Greek, it literally means hell no. Hell no. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And so like right there, dude, I would hear that everywhere I would go. Like, ah, you're right, man. You're right. Okay. Enough of the rest. This, I mean, you can't live in this, dude, if you've died to it. Right? And now you're back to pulling up bootstraps and making it happen. And the rest is replaced with exhaustion. And so it'd be years, man. I know we unpacked this in, in, the, in the chapter, but it'd be years before I ever realized that something else is going on here. It's easy to read the word sin in verse one of Romans chapter six as a verb, as in the act of sinning. That's how I always read it. And wonder, like, you know, when honest with ourselves about the areas that we struggle in, you know, if we're, if, you know, if, you know, as, well, as they say, authentic Christians, but Paul actually uses the word te hermasha there, which is not a verb at all, dude. It's not a verb. Instead, it's a noun referring to our identity. It's capital S sin. (laughs) It's the state of sin, the state of independence, the spirit of self-reliance. Okay, is impossible for someone who is in Christ because the old Adam, our old lives, have been replaced with the new Adam. Jesus, who is now our very life. So Paul's looking at this crowd and he's unpacking that our reality in Jesus so that they can find rest. And they're throwing up their hand, just like I would do and say, yeah, but, you know, if we've died to this, you know, how can we possibly live in it? And he's going, it's, it's almost like he's mocking them. He's like, seriously, are you completely missing everything that I've been saying so far? in the first five chapters of this letter? Yeah. How can you, who no longer live in this state because you now live in Jesus, somehow still live in this state? Yep. Again, the word is not a verb there. 
The sin word there is a noun, it's identity. That is not your identity any longer as someone yeah. who's under the law. You've died, which means you're now free. Later on in Romans, he gives the illustration of the woman, right, who's married to someone. If she gets divorced and tries to remarry, they say that she's breaking the law. She's going against it. He's like, okay, well, what if she, what if her husband died? Oh, well, then she's free. She's free to she's right. free to move on or remarry. It's like ding, 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 ding. Yeah. Do you understand what I'm getting at now? <laughs> yeah, a lot of people think that Paul's bringing like the equilibrium, you know, to grace, the equi- equilibrium of of law and performance. Yeah. But people don't see he's really doubling down. He's doubling yes. down on our freedom. Yep. And I've heard Romans six a million ways, like talk about sin in a very practical sense. He's talking about position, dude. He's talking about identity. He's talking about our union in Jesus. That's it. This is your union. This is your reality. This is your existence. And because it's in him that you live and dwell, it's in him that you are hidden. It's him who lives in you. The one who's seated, as you said. Well, to say that you need to bring something to the table is to say that he has to bring something to the table. Mm. To say that you are not complete is to say that he is not complete. To say that there is something that needs to be done on your behalf is to say that there is something that he needs to do on his behalf. Mm -hmm. That's what we're driving home in this chapter. Yeah. And if there's... If there's any practical fruit, if there's any practical growth, it all happens within the mystery of this union. Mm-hmm. It all happens in the mystery of this restful heart who knows that I don't need to bring anything to the table. See, dude, when yeah. you're trying really, really hard, like when you're running hard in rebellion, um, you miss it. And when you're running really, really hard in righteousness, you also miss it, man. And it's yeah, only yeah, you miss it. rebellion and righteousness. They're, they're not places where you can actually stop and see um, and experience uh, this dance that we're invited into because you're running so hard. Only rest really forces you right into embracing these realities mm-hmm. yeah because i mean paul's got things that he's struggling dude in his racing i mean 100%. he talks about it in second corinthians i mean he talks about a thorn in his flesh dude that apparently is seems to be so you know such an embarrassment that he doesn't even unpack what it is right. at least in that letter i'm not saying he didn't with other people but he's got this struggle dude that's going on and it's not going anywhere. And he's pleading and pleading and pleading with the Lord that he would take it away. And how does God respond to him? By grace. Grace is sufficient. It's sufficient. It's a reference to a state of being. Because see, in our like paradigms, oftentimes when we hear grace, we think of it as like, like a little temporary, like get out of jail free card, right? Some temporary forgiveness. That's grace. No, dude, grace is the cross. God is saying, my grace, what I have done, what I have declared over you, that stands forever. You are unconditionally held and loved, period, mm-hmm. is sufficient. Yeah. 
Now, in the next chapter, we kind of get into the, okay, so then what does that look like, right? <clears throat> Played out in real life. Like, what does it mean to actually walk by faith with God then? Which is a great question, and I'm pretty excited, you know, about getting there. And as you know, dude, there's a bunch of things that we could keep getting to in this, man. Like, we've got a killer illustration in here. We've got a couple of great points on, like, marching orders, right, versus, you know, what fruit actually is. Well, this We've is got, yeah. This is where we get into John fifteen and and vine yeah. branches and stuff. So good breakdown there, um, which is really helpful for this conversation. Which I'll just refer everyone back to um, the episode titled "Where Branches Bro," um, and we we break <laughs> that we break it down. Yeah, a lot of us walking around thinking we're vine dressers. We do. Yeah, a lot of us walk around thinking that we're incomplete branches too. Yeah, you know, we got some work to do, man. Yeah, as if branches are like, oh man, I wish this one, I wish this one limb would start doing some more, man. Than what it is, we need to get to work on this thing. But yeah, man, I'm just, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's some, there's just so much, man, to be said on this topic, and and I love, I, I love the the scriptures, man, that we dive into to unpack that, you know, further in this. So I just encourage you who are listening, grab a copy of reclaim. It's on Amazon. You can go to the website and find it larksite.com. The, as you just referenced, you know, Tony, uh, we know we're branches. <laughs> like you can just back up a few episodes where we unpack that from John 15. Um, that's a, just a killer understanding in this conversation of how do we go about living in the rest that Jesus promises. And I'd love to just go ahead and just just share this quick quote from Eugene Peterson because I feel like he he sort of captures this these couple verses from Jesus, in my opinion, uh, best man in regards to his translation from Matthew chapter eleven. It says, "Are you tired?" That's what he's that's what he's saying to you to us. Jesus is saying, "Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Well, then come to me." Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn, and I love this, learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Dude, that right there, opposite of everything I learned. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace, he says. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Sign me up, bro. <laughs> yes. Yes. Sign and me up. And that's what all these verses amen. we've been digging into are about. It's Good just stuff, God man. driving it home. We hope you're encouraged. Um, if you've been diving in and your heart's exploding, maybe you got more questions, but you're digging what you're hearing, man, reach out. Hit us up. Yeah. Introduce yourself. We'd love to meet you. Um, we'd love to meet others out there who are on on this train, man. The grace train, baby. <laughs> yes. Thank God for it. <laughs> yep. Dude. Real quick, dude, before we say cheers, you were about okay. to do that uh, train whistle noise, weren't you? I was about to do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're gonna do like Ric Flair style? How are you gonna do it? <laughs> <laughs> That's like the Southern Drain. Woo! Doo -doo! <laughs>
<laughs> Until next time, man. <laughs> Cheers, bro. Cheers.